Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Thank you, Kenny. I'm not all that excited. Yeah, it's a big deal for you people. I know. I know. I mean, I could feel the excitement. Yeah, well, whatever. Um, I'm just playing. You should be excited. I know enough, and I know who. You won't get it out of me either. But uh, you ought to be excited. People, I, I don't know the entire spectrum of how the word favor has come into play within the body of Christ in recent years. But by apparent circumstances and process, God has favored East Haven with this candidate in a big way. And uh, I am excited for you. Um, My lack of excitement is only that I've grown accustomed to your face. I love you, I like you, you've been so gracious, and I've been able to say genuinely and consistently really nice and encouraging things about you, not just my time, but what I've known over the years, and uh, these are some great days ahead. So let's do what we do today, Happy New Year. I like the traditional Easter greeting better, He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's good. Let's try that again. He is risen. And that's a good reminder even on the beginning of this new year. Now, new year provides a distinct opportunity uh, for pastors and leaders, fathers and mothers, leaders of organizations, managers, directors, to consider in a fresh way a a new year, a new approach, setting some things to the past and looking forward. Uh, That's nothing that isn't reasonable about that. And for us, uh, it provides an opportunity for us to have kind of a marker or a pause that says, where have we been? What has happened? How has God blessed and led? And where will we go forward? Now, Let me take a quick informal survey just for fun to kind of see where you are in your life. How many of you stayed up until midnight last night? Could I see your hands proudly? How many of you were sound asleep at midnight last night? That's what I'm talking. This is the Cracker Barrel at 5 o'clock dinner crowd right there. I know who you are because I'm sliding into that category. I know exactly how that goes. Uh, Some of you, uh, there's somebody in here who had this thought. Yeah, I was up at midnight. It was my second time to get up out of bed by the time midnight rolled around. I know how some of you roll. Uh, There was a stage in most of our lives where some fireworks and uh, a good night kiss and a midnight uh, New Year's kiss. Boy, that that was something to look forward to, to kind of hope for and all the possibilities of the next year. At some point, you've kind of been there and done that, and you're pretty sure fireworks are going to go off whether you're awake to see them or not. Who's my 92-year-old gentleman here? There's a 92, 94-year-old gentleman over here, and I walked by and said, 
have you seen these before? And he said, about 92 times, <laughs> 92 times. But it's the new year and there are all kinds of possibilities. Interestingly, New Year's and celebrating a new year, regardless of whether we use the Roman calendar or others, has been a tradition that has really permeated a lot of cultures over the years. History.com, I looked it up, suggests that the Babylonians, get this, 4,000 years ago celebrated a New Year's Day. And what they did is they had a 12-day celebration and they basically set aside the old things and they prayed to their gods, little g, that they would live better lives in the next year. And they were looking for favor from their gods. Believers have a history. 1740, Charles Wesley, who was really the founder, the architect by God's hand of Methodism, uh, Charles Wesley led uh, spiritual renewal days, typically on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Sometimes those days would be considered watch night services. I have a sense that some of you have participated in watch night services. Can I see some hands? Anybody done that over the years? Praying the new year in with high expectation, prayerful hopes for all that God would do. So New Year's, it's just a natural pause. It's an opportunity to consider and to look forward to, to pray God's favor and blessing and to align ourselves with God's purpose. Now, there's a conversation among pastors, and it's in the literature. We read it all the time. And it's, it's an interesting conversation, and I just want to encourage you to sort of soften the blow if you land on one side or the other of this conversation or this language. There are those who really, they really beat up some pastors because they feel like when pastors do practical, like life skill, life stewardship messages, it's about self-help or self psychology or something. But I want to suggest to you, a good pastor wants to equip people to, with all due respect to the language, actually live their best lives before the Lord. That's why we should be talking about marriage in the context of a Christian, biblically informed view of what marriage is like. We ought to be talking about stewardship in the context of biblically informed worldview informing how we think about stewardship. When we think about relationships and reconciling wrong relationships or how to steward the things in our life or the opportunities with our time, we ought to do that based on biblically informed principles. So the thought that just because a pastor gives practical advice for life that it's self-help can really be dangerously astray from the truth. The truth is a pastor, a shepherd with a shepherd's heart should bring biblically informed truth to help people live literally by God's hand and God's power their best life. Now, if you think about the, the opposite of that, none of us want to live our worst life, right? I mean, you want to live your best life, what God has given you to do. And you want to do that well. And, and there's a temptation, so to speak, or a challenge or an opportunity in people like myself 
to come in with a principle or something found in Scripture that can be applied to our lives in very practical ways. And I believe there is strongly a case for that. At some point, East Haven will have a new student pastor. And in that particular season of life in which they minister to students ages about 12 to 18 or so, There are a number of things that happen during that season that should be informed by biblical truth by somebody who understands that developmental season and can speak that language. This morning, thinking about our culture, thinking about the new year, thinking about the way life moves and the speed at which it moves, I was really tempted coming out of Christmas and looking at the beginning of the year to talk about focus or to talk about the singularity of our thought and our heart. In response to the question, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus, of course, quotes from Deuteronomy and says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he speaks to the second, which is the relational, you love your neighbor as yourself. And if I were going to give you today, and this is not even where we're going today, But if I were going to give you a life principle that would be worth holding on to today, it is from a quote from a uh, a professor at Dallas Seminary for many, many years that's legendary, passed away about five years ago, Dr. Howard Hendricks. He has a great line about focus, and he says this, the secret of concentration is elimination. The secret of of concentration is elimination. We've got to do away with some things in our life if we're going to concentrate on what's most important. And taking Jesus at his word about what's most important, which is loving God with all that we have, for some of us, we're going to have to make some decisions to eliminate some speed and some distractions from our life. Speaking of distractions, yesterday... Uh, I watched a YouTube video from Google. Now, that by itself is unremarkable, but the video was pretty remarkable. I'm a, I'm a skeptic. I, I filter, uh, I'm looking for a word here, propaganda from Google pretty carefully. But the video was all about search engines and their challenges and bad actors of nation states hacking Google and what Google knows and does with your information and how they utilize and facilitate searches. And if this doesn't make any sense to you, let it go. But what I remember of quite a few numbers through that documentary was that in the first 30 minutes of the documentary, they said during that time, there had been 100 million searches on Google in that 30 minutes. We are really, really distracted. And keeping the main thing the main thing, I believe, may be the challenge for 2023. Uh, It's easy, as my grandparents would have said, to get on your horse and ride off in all directions keeping the main thing the main thing. The secret of concentration is elimination. The greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Prior to the moment we took at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, as we led into Christmas Sunday, we were in the book of Romans. We were hitting the high points 
Obviously, you could live in the book of Romans as a pastor, as a believer, the rest of your life. It is the strongest theological treatise in the Bible, some would say, and, and I believe that to be the case. It is really Paul's crowning achievement by the very Spirit of God working in him to pen this letter to the church at Rome that talks about the great theology of the redemption of Christ, of his people, uh, the reality and practical ways of our life, and the goodness of God and his grace. So this morning, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We'd already dipped our toes into Romans 8 prior to Thanksgiving, and we're going to go to Romans 8 today, and I'm going to do what I would never recommend for an ongoing pastor necessarily to do, but I believe it's the right thing to do today. I can't believe I'm even saying this out loud. I want, I'm going to talk about, we're going to think about all of Romans 8 in a day. Now, that's crazy for a number of reasons. There's so many truths here. There's layer upon layer of truth in God's Word in Romans 8 that is so profound and so deep and so necessary to understand that it could look like a disservice, but I am committed to this, this high point of the book of Romans so we have a framework for what we understand. And if I had to think about something that was practical, I love the focus, the secret of concentration is elimination. We live in a hurried, distracted world. I think that's a good word, but I think that word is about do you know who God is and who you are and what he's done? And Romans 8 has been called the greatest chapter in Scripture. Now, I don't know who all has said that, but it is a oft-repeated truth about Romans 8 or oft-repeated opinion by theologians about Romans 8 because it's so comprehensive, it's so inclusive of the truth of the gospel. So this morning, I've got six truths or promises out of Romans 8 that I would send you on your way into 2023 with this morning, and I think they're critical. We're going to read a lot of scripture again. Uh, I, I do this and have done this for 45 years in one place or another, and reading this much scripture is not really recommended. And by reading this much, I mean out loud or as a congregation. I'm going to read for you today, and we're going to take a pause at a number of different verses, and I want to give you this six-point outline. If you received your order of worship coming in, you can fill in those blanks as we go. Romans 8, no condemnation. This was the good news we dipped our toes into recently, and it goes like this. Romans 8 says, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. First truth this morning is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And that is incredible news. If that's all you got today, that would be, that would be life-changing. You know this. Most of you have handled your Bible. You've heard this. You live in this reality. The truth is, no matter what you've thought, what you've done, what you've hoped to do, what you've planned to do, what the deep recesses of your thinking has been, what you wanted to do as a child, the evil, the repercussions of bad decisions, no matter what has occurred in your life, in Christ you are covered and there's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. Do you understand what good news that is? It changes the way you live your life because you're not looking over your shoulder, the the literal shoulder of your soul, wondering what repercussions are going to come from God. He separates your sin, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. Why? Because the Spirit lives in you as a result of Christ going to the cross for you. Number one, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I want to camp here for just a second. I've just got to beg you to consider the truth, this truth of God's word. I know that I know because I'm a person and I live with my sinfulness and my brokenness that has been redeemed by the grace of God. I just know it is easy in the dark night of the soul to consider the bad choices you've made, the sin you've lived in, the decisions that have led to broken relationships, the ways that you evaluate your life and I evaluate mine. Well, what if maybe I coulda, shoulda, woulda to consider ourselves as somehow inadequate and failures. It's easy to consider ourselves that way because that's what we really are. We're inadequate failures. Did you know that? That doesn't sound like good news. The good news is the good news of the gospel, that there's no condemnation from God to us, even though I'm inadequate and I'm a sinner and I'm a failure. We looked at the first seven chapters of Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the very glory of God. But it's not about falling short or God's condemnation. It's about his love and his grace for us. And I would send you into 2023 today with this admonition that you consider the fact that there's no condemnation for you. There's no beating you up. There's no keeping score that you're going to be paying for because as we just read, Christ has done that for us. Once Christ has executed his plan to redeem us by his sacrifice and grace, we are controlled by the Spirit. Romans 8, beginning in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. 
You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. This is incredible news. Our bodies will die, these tents will break down, but our life is lived forever. We are controlled by, inhabited by, owned by, the Bible says sealed by the Spirit. So we're not left alone. God doesn't simply say, I no longer condemn you, I set your sins to the side, but he comes within us to walk with us to control our lives, to empower our lives. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, to convict of sin and of righteousness. Those are the reasons the Spirit lives within us. And He gives leading to us and the demonstration, the effects of the Spirit are demonstrated in the fruit of the Spirit, the evidences of the Spirit, the symptoms of the Spirit life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. I'm going to take an aside here for just a second, just to encourage you, but also to point to God's word about a truth that we have missed so often in the church. Uh, Several years ago, I came to East Haven, sat with your staff, and did an assessment of strengths. And it is a valuable tool. And I would do it again. I think it's, it's it's a great exercise. But so often in the church, we evaluate each other and especially pastors and staff people by executing in a number of management categories. You know, how are you on, and then we fill in the blank about a number of categories. And those are not invalid in and of themselves. But I want to say to you today And I don't know the metrics. I don't know how to get around this. I don't know of a perfect assessment. But the real evaluation should be, do you evidence the fruit of the Spirit of God? That should be the evaluation. I've got really good news for you today. I know who your pastoral candidate is. And I've not ever worked with this person, but I've known this person. And to my knowledge and the testimonies of my friends, he evidences the fruit of the Spirit. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's a much bigger deal than his theological degrees. All important, but evidencing the work of God by the work of the Spirit, evidenced in fruit, is so critical. The Spirit comes into our life to control us. Chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. I would love a bottled water 
Can I do that? Thank you, Scott. That's a, that's a deacon right there. Did you see that move? That's, that's the chairman of deacons. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but is not according to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Can you hear this again? Can we back up? The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share also, that we may also share in his glory. The reality is, thank you, Scott. We've enjoyed a cough at my house, thank you, sir, for a number of weeks. Can I get an amen? Anybody know what that's like right now? Years ago, my pastor mentor at First Baptist Columbus when I was a senior in high school and college student, um, somebody gave him a silver cup that sat in a little cup holder, and he had it on the pulpit. I thought that was really odd until I started preaching. And I thought, that's, that's about the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm thinking about getting a big igloo cup and just placing it with me everywhere I go. Thank you for your graciousness here. This passage is incredibly important because it tells us we're adopted by the Father. And because we're adopted by the Father, we're brothers and sisters in the same family. But the reason we're adopted is because we are orphans spiritually. We're out there on our own with no father, with no mother, with no relationship. We are alone in the wilderness to die spiritually on our own apart from God. But he adopts us into his family. There are so many things I could talk about today about adoption, but let me just make one observation. There are nuances to this in extreme cases, but fundamentally when you're adopted, you're adopted. You're in the family. And what was not true becomes true. You would be my child. And God does not adopt to divorce his children, to remove his children. He adopts because you're in his family and he is faithful to hold that to which he has made promise. Ephesians tells us we're sealed. Galatians Uh, Ephesians 1, we're adopted. This is huge. And how do we know? How do we know we're in his family? The Spirit himself bears testimony to the fact that we belong to him. So you look into somebody's life and you say, I wonder if that person is walking with Jesus. Here's how we know. Fruit of the Spirit, symptoms of the Spirit in their life. You want to know whether you're walking with Jesus or not? Does your spirit bear witness with his spirit? 
that you're a child of his. The scripture says that's the test. That's the test. It's not a theological check box. It's not true and false about church attendance or about your giving or even about your serving. It's does his spirit bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of his. Romans 8, 18 through 27. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That is a long passage full of truth that the Spirit intercedes, that the Spirit does for us obviously what we cannot do for ourselves, begins with an understanding that there is some suffering and that the world creation groans awaiting redemption. I labeled it this way, life is hard but God is good. Have you lived long enough to find out life's hard yet? Have you buried a parent or a spouse or a child or a sibling? Have you had a diagnosis that took you to your knees? We live in a broken, fallen world. And there are times when we don't even know what to pray because we're devastated. We're groaning from the inside out, much like all of creation, but the Spirit intercedes for us. So we're not on our own. The spirit who controls us intercedes in this broken, fallen world where they're suffering for a time to see Christ revealed and made much of to the praise of his glory. Life's hard, but God is good. And he inhabits his people. He lives within us by the presence of his Holy Spirit to make much of Christ to secure us, to even make intercession 
when we don't know what to pray. Verses 28 through 34, we know Romans 8, 28, most of us in the room. By the way, let me take an aside for a second and say to those who might be watching on Facebook today or online today, uh, we would love for you to be in the room with us. And for those in the room today who may not handle your Bible often or may not be really church regular, I mean, welcome. Just happy to be together as a church family today. And you're a blessed part of that. Glad that you're here. Romans 8, 28, sometimes we'll throw out, well, we all know this verse. We may not. But it is a central truth that looks and sounds as the promise of God for people who live in a broken, fallen world who have bad things happen. And let me just go ahead and break, break the moment. Bad things happen. Everybody get this? Your stuff's going to break down. Your, this tent's going to break down. Things are going to happen because we live in a broken, fallen world. And the rains come and the winds blow and the water rises and stuff happens. But God is good. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You realize Paul's just written, he said, the Spirit intercedes when we don't know what to say, but Jesus himself is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. God has a plan to redemptively work all things together for our good. It brings upon us a need for the dependence upon God, an awareness of God's presence, uh, a focus. You know, I talked about concentration. The secret of that is elimination. When you receive the diagnosis, it's funny how lots of other things get put into proper order. Why? Because we're desperate. And in our desperation, we see and seek God in a new way. Over the years... You've had, and I've had friends, perhaps it's you, who've had bad diagnoses or crisis in their life or loss of a loved one. And more often than not, with the believers that I've had the chance to visit with at some length, this is what I've heard over and over and over my entire life. I heard it just two weeks ago from a very close friend. Gary, I would never choose this but I would never trade it because of the intimacy that I found in Jesus while I walked through this. There are a lot of things we wouldn't choose, but God brings the promise of his redemptive goodness 
to all things to those who love him. To those who love him. There's so much in these passages. But the final piece this morning, God's promise of inseparable love. Inseparable. I love these verses. Let's read them. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardness or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's promise of inseparable love. We're not going to be separated from Christ if we're in Christ. That's his promise. There's nothing that can separate you. There's nothing that can steal you out of his hand. He loves you because he loves you. He holds you because he's adopted you. He's paid an incredible price for you. You belong to him if you trusted and faithed Jesus Christ. The word for 2023 is you want to love him with all that you have. You want to love your neighbor as yourself. And I would encourage you to look to these six truths out of Romans 8. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're controlled by the Spirit, empowered by Him. We're adopted by the Father. We're in His family. Life is hard, but God is good. God has a promise of redemptive goodness. He weaves all things together, works all things together for good for those who love Him. And God has promised is inseparable love. If God is for us, people, who can be against us? If I, beyond praying, could speak into reality a decision in each of your life, it would be that we would know him more, more deeply, more consistently, that we would practice his presence and live in the reality of the Spirit of God. If I could simply have a wish for some of you, it would be that you would trust Christ for the very first time. That you would go ahead and surrender your life to the God that you can't see. Blessed are those who can't see and still believe because he is real. He loves you. He desires a relationship with you. We're about to sing together as we close our service. If you don't have a body of brothers and sisters, a church to call your family, East Haven could well be that. These are some exciting days to be a part of. We would love to welcome you in this place as you consider membership at East Haven. If you've never trusted Christ, I'd love the privilege of talking with you or others talking with you about what that might mean. Perhaps you're a member of another Baptist church somewhere or another church and you want to come and be a part. You come on this morning. We would love to see you unite with East Haven Baptist Church 
as this body moves forward. God's at work here. These are great days. Allow me to pray for us. Father, I just want to say thank you for how you love us, for your goodness and your grace. And God, I'm thankful for the promises of your word, for the way you're redemptive in our lives. I'm grateful for the truths of this strong passage of Scripture. And Lord, my prayer, as I verbalize it this morning, is that each of us, myself included, will walk in the truth of who you are and who we are as a part of your family, adopted and held and sealed and loved. Lord, I pray if there's a person here who's not trusted you that today would be that day. If there's a person, a couple, a family who've not united with a church, with a part of the body of Christ, that today would be that day. And that for some who have found recently that life is really, really hard, that today they would be encouraged and prayed for. And I pray we would have the opportunity perhaps to pray together in this day. We love you, Lord. We're excited to see you at work. We know the truth of your word stands. We're thankful for the opportunity to consider who you are and who you've called us to be. Thank you for your spirit's work, empowering and controlling and interceding for us. And my prayer is that we would walk in that truth in our life. So at this time of invitation and decision, God, have your way in this room. We trust you, and we look forward to what you're doing in the hearts and lives of people in this room, whether walking forward, quietly standing, sitting, singing, responding to you. We trust that you're in all of that. We love you. We're grateful for you as your family. And we pray this as your sons and daughters, in Christ's name, amen.